0: And now, here's your host of Shaping Success, Wes Tankersley. <clears throat> what is up, everyone? Welcome to Shaping Success. I'm your host, Wes Tankersley, back again with another edition of Shaping Success this morning with Robert Watson. We've been doing this every Wednesday. We're in Chapter Eight of his book. Can you give us a little update? Are we getting close? Are we about ready to release this thing?
1: Yeah, we're. Um, it turned over to the formatter on the weekend. So he's about five, six days away. And then we upload and I believe it's, uh, what is it? I think two days or three days for uh, them to up. So we're still right on schedule about the middle of the month.
0: That's awesome because it's like, we've been talking about it for a while, but it's like the moment that they're done, it only takes a couple of days to get it out. So
1: yeah, it's, pretty- it's, I think it's two to three days for uh, Amazon to approve it.
0: Yeah. Well, we got the live up. We got people in the chat room today. I don't know. I can't remember. I don't think the chat room was working last week. We always have these technical difficulties. And you'll notice as well with me. I got a new camera, but it's in a different spot. So, typically I'm looking at the screen of the computer so I can kind of look at Robert and talk to him. Now I'm looking at him through the side of my eyes, so it's a little weird. So you might see me kind of dart off and go, "What are you saying?" <laughs> <laughs> or look over this way and there's the chapter of the book over there we're talking about. But uh, it'll take some getting used to. I really like the uh clarity that this camera that i've had for a while has uh given us so well let's dive into this one it's called pressure uh tell us a little bit about what was going on when you were in the middle of this one the nice thing is is that you're living you're reliving it so it's basically just a retelling of your of your situations that you've been through
1: right and um i was on a short final on a moonless night to uh, Houston Southwest Airport, and I wasn't really paying much attention. It was really, really a beautiful night. I had uh, at least two of my kids, as I recall, on the flight with me. And so I reached that kind of, I don't know, one mile final point, And I looked down and uh, I lost the horizon. And what that's called is black holing, meaning I, I no longer could make sense of up or down. Uh, And so basically that's it's kind of a thing in your brain where all of a sudden you're like, I don't know which way to move. And so what that does to you, if you're not instrument trained, is is it causes you to jerk response to things like I feel like I'm going up. So you jerk the yoke one way or the other. It is uh, what they perceive killed John F. Kennedy, Jr. was he black holed and he ended up inverted in flight and basically threw the plane into the water.
0: It's pretty and crazy so how won. that works because I don't, a lot of people don't like during the day. It's, it's one thing, right. But at nighttime when you don't, like you said, it was a moonless night. So like you couldn't see because our brain tries to pick that up. Right. So we're picking up during the day, there's the sun. So we know where we're at and now mm-hmm. there's nothing there. So it could yeah, be remember- disordering.
1: Yeah, I remember my flight instructor took me down to Galveston Islands so that I could get the sense of things. So he took me down to Galveston. We landed, and it was a moonless night, and he had me take off, and I took off into the ocean, right? And so it's nothing more black than the ocean. So what happens is you take off, and the minute you're, you nose up and you've got any kind of altitude, you look outside and you have no reference point. You do not know what up and down is. It's just like all there is is black around you. And so the idea is is not to panic during that situation, is to find a reference point. You have instruments, of course. But, you know, you're not an instrument-trained pilot, so you really don't know what to do with them. Fortunately, a good friend of mine in flight training had said, listen, if you're going to learn how to fly, you need to get your instruments, because if not, it will kill you. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, again, you, you listen to the people that have been successful in the past, and you go, okay you know, I'll go do that. And so on that day, that's exactly what happened. I lost reference. I didn't know which way up and down was. And I wasn't that far off the runway. So at that point, I could nose down into the runway. Not a good choice. (laughs) Nose up and basically stall over the runway. Not a good choice. Either way, it was like two crashes in a landing. That that was what it was. A, crash. B, crash. C, land. Oh, I was going to land. It's just how hard, right? So but what happens is because you're instrument trained, immediately when you lose sense of horizon, you go straight to your instruments. And so even though my head was whacked out, I just went right to the instruments and landed the plane. But that gulp you take when you realize I don't know what the hell's going on, that little millisecond of oh crap. You just you 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 can't help but freeze. Your mind freezes, and then you just go right to your training. It's all every failure I've ever had is the same thing. It's that momentary millisecond of, for lack of a better, word, oh shit, I'm in trouble, <laughs> and then what do I do? Because all my in troubles are not fender benders. They're all you're going to lose your life if you don't do what you need to do. And in my case, I wasn't going to lose just my life. I was going to lose two of my children too. And that was, you know, completely unacceptable. So, um, but again, you know, went straight to my instruments landed in, and I do have to admit that as I was taxing, my breathing wasn't as normal as it was. I was a little, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm a smidgen freaked here. I went right to my training. I did what I was supposed to, but Jesus, I'm glad I had that training. I'm glad I was there. I'm glad I had done the extra mile, done exactly what somebody had said. So that guy had basically saved my life.
0: Well, and you had a little
1: piece of advice.
0: That's the thing with life. I don't, I think like a lot of people don't really realize how much you actually have to practice what you're doing. And to, to get a pilot's license, you have to fly a lot, right? I mean, you're, you're spending multiple, multiple times in air. You start out with someone with you then you end up by yourself a little bit and then you've got can you tell us the process of that and like how your training really played into that because you had to do that more than once i'm assuming
1: to yeah and I had, that way yeah i had wonderful instructors so basically you you spend approximately 40 hours of flight training to get your basic flight right so this is you know how to you fly a plane you know how to land a plane you know how to navigate Basically, from point to point by visual navigation, you're not an instrument trained pilot. So you've got about 40, you get to about 100 hours. And at that point, you start training for your instruments is when you start spending time learning how to navigate, learning weather. Because what happens now is you kind of end up with a master's in meteorology. Uh, because again, you know you're going to be flying in conditions where you can't see anything a lot. So you're going right. to be flying in clouds. You're going to be flying... And so you do, you spend an incredible amount of time, but the insurance companies know this, that you're kind of deadly from about 150 hours to about 300 hours. So your premiums are really high, right? When you get over about 350, closer to 500 hours, you start getting safe again. What happens is you get just enough hours to be stupid. (laughs) <laughs> right. You get 150, 200 out. No, I'm, and they, they've went through this facts. And so my premium, you get
0: confident, right? Like, I mean, you get to the point where you're right. like, Oh, I, I got this now I'm an expert and you're not I'm a, quite an expert. Yeah. Right.
1: No, no, you're not. And what happens is, is that it's one test after another of life and death situations where you go, Oh, okay. Now I get it. Oh, wow. I really. And so what I did was I just trained like a madman. I did high altitude training unusual attitudes. I did wind shear. I did everything that you could and, and every bit of it paid off. Did you, do I that was on in, your,
0: did you do that on your own or was that what your instructors like? Hey, you should do this.
1: Well, yeah, they were basically, you know, you should do more of this. Hey, cause you know, I trained in Texas It's flat as a board. Yeah. Okay. So then all of a sudden you want to go start flying in the mountains. You have no high altitude training whatsoever. And you basically, uh, one of my buddies, you know, tore his plane apart because basically you didn't understand high altitude so i went up to colorado springs trained high altitude and all this is just basically instructors nudging you to get more competence right i went out to palm springs and, and flew wind shear which is it's the worst you could possibly be in it's these major microbursts up and down that basically take a 747 and just smash it into the ground yeah and so this kind of stuff is what you're always preparing for. It's it's the weirdest thing in the world to do what's called a full power landing, right? In other words, the winds are so bad that you have to come in full throttle, oh, right? Geez. Pull back and break. Because you, if you don't come in full throttle, the winds will just kind of throw you one side to the other. Right. So it's these are all the things you learn over time. But you're as a pilot, you're training in Texas, everything's flat, the wind conditions are kind of everything you can see. Then you start getting in these other conditions. If you don't have any experience, you, yeah, you're a statistic.
0: I love the way. So like we have some people talking in the, in the chat room, which is awesome. And it's, it's the thing that this is kind of the way that I think about things as well. Like we're talking about Robert in a plane, but there's also these connections that you can make into your life as well. Uh, Jenny says, I cannot imagine that glad you were trained. Same thing happens when you code a patient. And so like as in a hospital and, and you think about that, it's like you have to go to those trainings. There's a, there's a moment of, oh crap, and then you just go, you just do it. You have, your training kicks in. So you've been there, you've done that. Now you're just doing it at a quicker pace, right?
1: Yeah. And, and the weird part is, is the same thing for medical professionals, fire professionals, flight, dive instructors, whatever. It doesn't matter. The intuition level is phenomenal, right? They've seen it so many times they start making decisions about right or left instantaneously when people look at the decision matrix and they go, well, there was like three decisions you made the right one. How did you make the right one? And the action, it was, they put it practice until you can't get it wrong is exactly the truth. Yeah. And And what happens is over and over again.
0: And I, when I'm reading this chapter, I'm thinking about it. Like I kind of, I'll read it and I'll go through it and I'll go, I know I've read, this is one that I've read before that you sent to me previously before, you know, you put it all in the book format, but I'm sitting there thinking the first time I read it, you know, you just kind of read through it. The second time I read it, I was thinking of it in the thought process of how you were going through it, because I feel like every time I read one of these chapters, it's like Robert in slow motion. Like you're actually breaking this thing down to the point, because I mean, this could have been like three minutes that all this stuff happened in, but you're taking in everything that you can to make the right decision. And you've done that by practicing.
1: Yeah, and it's it's probably, in some of these cases, it's 30 seconds, 60 seconds. It's really, when you think in terms of what's going on at the speed it's going on, um, you know, it's the same thing. I know it's back to football analogies, but. Um, hey, that's you, where we you, know. You th- right, but you you throw a pass at the high school level. Right, the guy gets to run the pattern, turn around, stand there, hold his hands up, and you get to throw it. Right, you do it at the college level, and you got to be more intuitive. At the pro level, all you see is a flicker, right? And you throw to where he's supposed to be based upon a point in time you saw a second ago. Right, right. (laughs) So that's kind of what happens in this: is you're making decisions. Medical professionals—they've even studied paramedics, how you make all these life-saving decisions in literally 10 seconds and you make the right ones. So it's, it's, it's fascinating, but again, it's just repetition. Yeah, Lots and lots of repetition. I remember doing my night uh, qualifiers and uh, every time I would go around, he would take something away from me. He would take my flaps away from me, He'd take my engine, take my lights away, take fuel, whatever he was taking away. And I'd call in an emergency and take, bring the plane down, call in an emergency, you know, take the plane down, call in an emergency, take the plane down right? over and over and over again. So literally when you rent an emergency, you could, you could call it.
0: It's crazy. Do you, so I'm, I'm thinking like my mind go, kind of goes to, this was a, some time ago, right? You're talking about your young children. I mean, this has had to be your oldest kids in the yeah, 20s, this- right?
1: Yeah, my my youngest kid's in his mid-20s. So, yeah, yeah, this is 15 years ago. How often do you
0: fly now? And is it the same thing like when you go out? It's like I just automatically – it's like riding a bike. I mean, I guess we always put it in that metaphor. Just like riding a bike. Well,
1: well, now that I'm in school full-time as a student and don't exactly have a lot of extra money, the one thing flying is hideously expensive, Uh meaning my little flying habit is about $6,000 a month. So if that puts it into context for you. It's funny how you got a little
0: flying habit. It's like, that's kind of like an addiction.
1: (laughs) It pretty much is. Yeah. You, I mean, you know, there's really not a lot of justification for it. When you think about it, you know, you're just doing it because you want to. But my youngest daughter was funny because she reached a point in time where she had never been on a commercial flight. She had always flown with me and she called me and she said, this is horrible. You have to take your luggage from one place to the next. (laughs) And I was like, because, you know, we basically land a car comes up and we take it out of our cargo hold, put it in the car and drive off the tarmac. Yeah. So it's a pretty simple life. Right. And she found out she had to hump her own luggage. She was.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I hate flying. It's like one of the worst things. I don't, I'm not, I don't have like anxiety towards it, but I just like, I can't stand all the things that you have to do in order to get on a plane it's nuts it's drives me insane
1: i had to tell you funny so the tsa i go up and i hand them my stuff right and i just took out my pilot certificate and i said like this and they go yeah you know you think that would help but it doesn't right the tsa (laughs) i'm i'm allowed to go on the tarmac right where they can't go right but i still have to go through tsa yep (laughs) that's insane
0: I had I had one of those, too. So, like, I, I had a tarmac license, and you had to take a class in order to do it. Because when I was changing tires at Les Schwab, I was actually – we took care of the tankers that filled
1: oh, planes yeah. with yeah. gas.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I had to go in and sit down and take this training. And I'm surprised that the training that they gave you, you know, it's it's not very in-depth to be able to do that. Just make sure you don't have any weapons. And, and when you're working on something, take your tools and put them back in the truck if you're in the middle of <laughs> – airing up a tire because you don't want to get sucked into an engine
1: <laughs> well it's true you know and for the guys that are fueling make sure you ground yourself before you fuel stuff like that right yeah yeah a little static jump yeah yeah it's it's uh it's interesting stuff yeah but the point about pressure is a privilege um when you can st- take your mind and turn it around and realize that to be your best, you have to be able to handle the worst. And people are like, I don't want bad things in my life. I don't don't want tough times. And I'm like, reverse it. Reverse it around. Pressure is actually a privilege. When you've got pressure, that means you've got responsibility. means you put yourself in a cool position, you know, show up for yourself. Right. Uh, And that reverses your entire thought process of kind of like hiding from tough times.
0: Yeah, I love that because I think that there's a lot of people who and this is the thing, you know, again, this kind of ties back into the show. And that's why we're doing this. Like we're talking about the book, like a lot of times, like if you want to be more, if you're doing everything that you possibly can to be the best you can be, just like you're talking about, you know, you trained for those problems, even though they may never happen. I'm sure there's things that you trained for in your flight school that has never happened to you, but could happen. And you know what to do when that situation comes upon you. And people who are pressurized, like you said, listening, thinking of it as like a privilege, I think of it like the manager who decided that they were so good at everything that they did, their training, that they are awarded this opportunity to be able to handle the pressure when it took place. Like they know exactly what to do when there is a problem and they're a problem solver.
1: Yeah. And and I've also thought many times that if you can show up for yourself and cope I, I think you've earned the right to live. In my situations, they're live or die. And and the question is, are you going to luck into living or have you earned the right to live? Right. Have you earned the right to survive this by putting in the time, by putting in the work? And in a lot of cases, you know, you you can't depend on luck because some of the stuff is, uh, is is fatal. And you can't have an entitled attitude that I'm entitled to survive all circumstances. You're not. You're just not, Um, you're, you're entitled to the level of your training. That's what you're entitled to.
0: And I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to sports this time. I'm going to talk about basketball because I think that it's funny. I, I post these things on, um, I, I did a morning coffee episode a couple of weeks ago and I started talking about LeBron versus Jordan versus Kobe, which is like the, if you start doing that, there's these people who just are like,
1: LeBron is way better,
0: blah, 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 blah. And, and one of the things that I said was that LeBron has never been around, like he's always surrounded himself with people who were true athletes. And Jordan, you know, he took those people and brought them up to his level by saying, you know, you're going to practice like you play the game. And then that way, when you're in the game, you're, you're playing to the best of your ability. So if you practice like crap, you're going you're gonna to play like crap. And it was funny because someone came back at me and they're like, Jordan was surrounded by Hall of Famers. Well, if you look back at what Jordan did, Jordan was surrounded by Hall of Famers who weren't Hall of Famers until they were around him, until they played with him. And LeBron has gone and started playing with these people who were already Hall of Famers and really good people, and that was kind of my point. And it, I, just, I think it's hilarious because it was always that practice mentality. Kobe Bryant was up at like 3 o'clock in the morning taking the same shot that he's taken a 1,000 times to continually take that so that when he got in that pressure situation in the game, he was ready to go.
1: I think the ultimate testament to Jordan is what his opponents say about him. And they will tell you straight up, he's the only guy that doesn't matter if you knew he was going to take the shot and you put three guys on him, he was still going to get the shot off. Right, And they said, the reality was he he was just, when he took over the game, he took over the game. And he took over the game in the most high-pressure situations with the most on the line. He took over the game, and he owned it. And his opponents will tell you that. Right. And that, that that's a real testament when your opponents will go, oh, no, that's that's the worst. He's the worst to deal with because you can't cope with him.
0: Yeah. It's, it's all about that preparation, I feel like. And I don't think that... I think that a lot of people get lost in the fact that they just want instant gratification. They want it to happen right away, but they don't realize in the background. It's that perception versus reality that I talk about a lot where, you know, just like in podcasting, they look at it and they see like, well, they see you all over, but they don't understand there's a lot of stuff going in the background and they might not be as successful in what it, what it looks like, the perception of what it is, but what they're doing is they're putting in the reps to get to that point where, you know, two, three years down the line, they may be the most successful person that, you know, but it looks a little different now.
1: Yeah. And just like we talked about podcasting, um, I knew it was going to look ugly for a while. You know, I'm trying to get better at it and hopefully I will, but you know, it's going to look ugly for a while and that's okay. You know, that's part of life. You want to become really, really good at something. You know what is it? Ten thousand hours
0: yep, is the best Ten thousand hours, old Malcolm. Ten thousand hours, old Malcolm. Can you imagine
1: Malcolm. when you, where are you are in podcasting? Go ahead and count the hours.
0: Yeah, I have to think about it. It's not very far because if you think about it, I got like three hundred fifteen <laughs> hours, and episodes are kind of average on thirty, so I got a long ways to go.
1: <laughs> yeah, ten thousand hours is a long way to go in podcasting.
0: Yep, exactly. And it's funny because it's always, it's ever evolving. You know, like we talked about yesterday, there's always these little blocks for me where I like make it more than what it is. Like yesterday, I essentially had to plug this camera in that I'm looking at right now. And now I have to relearn Like I've, I've, I've recorded this thing like three different ways so far, four different ways. One from just an iPad, one from this webcam, one from sitting in a studio with a camera from far away, but I'm still learning, you know, the best way to do things. And, And like getting this camera finally set up yesterday was essentially plugging the damn thing in and switching a setting. And now I have the camera and the clarity is way better. And most people won't notice that. But you'll like if you really knew what you were doing, you realize that I'm not looking at your face because I can't. I'm looking at the camera right now. And if I do look at your face, that's me looking at your face on the screen. So it doesn't look the same as me looking at the camera. It's all things that you do and learn and, and practice.
1: Well, I ran across one of the short clips that you did from last week, right? Uh-huh. I was on Instagram and of course my face pops up on Instagram and I'm like, Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not used to seeing my face. Right. I'm like, yep. Oh, the Lord Jesus. <laughs> well, but yeah, get, good clip by better. the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But good clip by the way.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Yep. And that's what it's all about. We have to do that. We have to push those out. So, um, great chapter. I look forward for everyone to get to actually read through this too. Like we do. Next week, we have one called Future Self. So we'll be talking about that. And uh, we're getting off to a good start here. I mean, we're getting close to, I mean, how many chapters are there? I know you adjusted it a little bit and this might not be, I might not have the newest version, but we're- 36. 36, okay. So we're about a third of the way through there. We're getting yep. close. Not getting close. We have a lot to talk about and I just, I enjoy it. So thanks for, thanks for doing it. Thanks for hanging out. Um, thank you to everyone in the chat room. And, uh, we will see, we will see you next Wednesday when we talk about this again. And hopefully, you know, we get closer to that 10,000 hour mark, right? Absolutely. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for hanging out. Thank you for those in the chat room. Appreciate you keep coming. Make sure that you like share and subscribe. If you can follow Robert on Instagram, TikTok, wherever you see him, make sure that you're following me so that you get those notifications. I think I have we might be going live on Instagram next week. So we'll see how it goes because i found another way to get that tapped into our stream. So we'll have another place to do it. You guys have a great day. Perfect. Yeah. Take care. We'll see ya.